White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 467. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started. All engines are started. We have ignition. 2, 1, 0. We have a liftoff. We have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area. It's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center. The second five is moving off the tail. It is now clear to the top. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined today by my good friends who just happen to be the heads of the Dragon Con classic sci-fi track, Joe Crow and Gary Mitchell. Welcome aboard, guys. Hello. Baby, do you dig your man? <laughs> just, I, was, I was wondering how long it would take. For that song lyric to pop up, and it didn't take time, hardly any time at all. Good job there, Gary. So, uh, how are you two gentlemen today? And what are we going to what are we going to be talking about today, Gary? Uh, I'm doing well, and we are going to be talking about uh, Stephen King's, what a lot of people call his masterwork, mm. uh, The Stand. All right. And so I'm going to we'll we'll be talking. I, I was the first thing I was going to say about it is that I don't think we can really do spoilers on a book that's been out since the late Carter administration. So I think we'll just talk about it. And if people are worried about getting spoilers, they need to just pause the show and go like read the book or watch the miniseries and then come back. Does that sound okay to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. I mean, what else are they doing right now? <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Quarantine. You're Thank under you. quarantine from a disease. Yes. Read the manual. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just did, in fact. I read the book for the first time. And, I, I, in fact, let's go around the table here. I'll go ahead and finish my thought, and then we'll go around and get you guys. Um, so I've, I tried to read it the first time back in high school, probably in the mid-'80s, and I got as far as as Harold painting the words on the roof of the barn in Ogonquit with Franny, and then I just kind of lost interest. I liked the beginning with everybody dying, but then once it became let's let's walk across the country or go on bikes, I kind of lost interest back in the 80s. But that was with the old version too, by the way, because the newer updated version hadn't come out yet that's got more stuff. And so I, I bought the newer version back when all this first happened. In fact, I saw that Stephen King said, every time there's a disease outbreak in the world, he says, I get a new check for the stand because people all go out and buy it for some reason, which is interesting because that's what I did. So I read it for the, I, it took me about three weeks. I read the whole thing uh, last month in pretty much April, beginning of May, and I immediately wanted to talk about it, which is what I tend to do with this show. So I'm very excited. And then I went and rewatched the, uh, the miniseries, and I got the Marvel comics. I'm about halfway through them on my iPad. So, Joe. What is your history with this book and story? I I attempted to read it like yourself, and also, strangely like yourself, I just finished it for the first time. Mm-hmm. I um, att- it 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 was mm, I don't I don't know I don't know why I didn't get into it in high school, but um, I my wife has my my wife Stephanie, a librarian and genius has been uh, 
um, I almost said crowing about this book, but well, I guess that's what my whole family does. <laughs> um, she loves this book and said, now, once we got in, under the quarantine, she said, now's an appropriate time to read this book. And that's I said, what? okay. <laughs> so, and, and I've got the unabridged version, the really long one. Yes. And yeah, that's what I read too. I had seen the miniseries, or at least some of it, back when it aired for the first time. But mm. after I finished the book, then we we both watched the miniseries together. So I'm fully up to date mm-hmm. on the Stand universe. Yep, yep. That's what I did. I went back and got the. Uh, I had actually the whole the reason I got the book in the first place a couple of months ago, even before the the whole pandemic started, was. I had bought a Stephen King DVD collection, like box set, and the Stand miniseries was one of several things on it, and that's what got me to thinking about it. I said, "Well, I'm going to read the book before I watch this." And then when the pandemic hit, I just immediately picked it up and said, "All right, I got to read it now." All right, so Gary, 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 what is your uh, history with this book? Because I'm led to believe that you have an interesting uh, tale as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I have a very interesting relationship with Stephen King in general because as a kid, I was a horror nerd and my mom was a horror nerd, so she let me read pretty much whatever I wanted <laughs> and watch whatever I wanted when it came to horror. And her only rule was just don't come crying to me when you have nightmares. <laughs> Good deal. And so I'm like, it's like 1978. I'm eight years old and I find Salem's Lot <laughs> and, you know, inhale it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And become a Stephen King fan. I read all this stuff that's coming out. I'm watching the movies. And then in high school, I discover, you know, I finally find a copy of The Stand uh, because we were poor and I was getting most of my stuff at uh, used bookstores. <laughs> and so I got the paperback. And so my s- sophomore year of high school, which was, we're talking like 85, uh, I read it and just loved it. And it became a tradition for me, like, because of the, mo- the book starts like in June something or other. Mm-hmm. Is the opening date? So I every summer when I gra- when I got out of you know when the school end year ended and that date I would pick up the stand and read it and I did that every year for like five years. Wow! It, be, it was just a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I know the book inside now. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I will go ahead and cop to the fact that I own the bulletproof vest edition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but I have actually never fully read it. I bought it because you know it's one of my favorite books. And it's got those beautiful Bernie Wrightson illustrations. Yes. And no. I scanned, yeah, yeah, and I scanned through it, and I read, you know, the sections that were new because I was able to go, okay, that's new. Okay, that's mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am not as intimate with the, the expanded, revised, you know, ginormous copy, but I am very familiar with the book. And then, as well, when as soon as the miniseries came out, I watched it. And I'm actually looking forward to the HBO one that's coming. Yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. Well, let me ask you this: while we're talking about that, did did you um, did you when you read it every year there for a while? Mm-hmm. Did you find you were finding different things in it each time that it was different for you each time, or what? Not as much. I would it, you know there would be a few things. It's like oh that's interesting, and as mm-hmm. you know as you mature, you you pick up on more things because again, right. kind of like you, I was a teenager. Some of this stuff like the you know, the, the civics lesson of, well, okay, we built a community where the book bogs down. Yeah. Um, it got a little more interesting as I came to understand politics and why politics is important, uh, but not as much of a, ooh, that's a new angle. Um, uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that didn't really happen. It's just, it was like comfort food. Mm-hmm. I'm going to 
which is an odd choice for comfort food, by the way, isn't it too? Because it's it I, and I, there's there's a lot of things I want to unpack about that in terms of like mm-hmm. killing ninety. Why we think it's great a great story where like surely all three of us would have been dead and we'd have had to really win the lottery to be part of that 0.06% or whatever but and even then it would just be us because everybody else we would know would likely be gone you know you'd have to go, you'd have to walk mm-hmm. 30 miles to another town to find the one person in that town but um yeah. what the crap yeah, if that, the, that's yeah. the worst <laughs> yeah. if the disease didn't kill me the walking is like oh I'll, just, I'll be fine. I'm just gonna die. Never mind. <laughs> well, I did. I I I like the fact that King noted very early on that there was a second wave of deaths that only mm-hmm. partly related to the disease. Part of it was just like people falling into open holes and not having anybody to rescue them, or you know, getting an yeah. infection and not having a doctor. You know, I just yeah. that was really interesting. How you know all the things that that are preventable or that you can survive now would basically kill you if there's nobody else around for 20 miles. Yeah, I mean, there is a reason it took us forever to get out of the dark ages. Yes, that's it. That's exactly. So I did want to ask you about, let's talk about the expanded thing for just a second. For people that don't know, in 19, was it 78? Gary, we were just talking about this, right? The original one? Yes. Okay. 78. In 78, they published the, and I'm not going to go on forever about this because I think most people kind of get the idea, but in 78, they published a shorter version where, where the original version that Stephen King wrote was a lot longer. Shorter being a relative term. Relative <laughs> term, right. Instead of like yeah. 1,200 pages, it was like 800. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is a book that when I was three quarters of the way through it, I was wishing it was longer, not shorter. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, there's some things in it that I would take out still, but there's a lot more things I feel like it needs because, you know, the comparison I made was it's like if you were an hour into Return of the Jedi, and Luke was still on Tatooine and hadn't left with Ben Kenobi, you know, for Alderaan yet, and I'm like, yeah. we've 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 spent that we've spent the first two and a half movies, so to speak, of material, just getting to know everybody walking around. Now we're supposed to like take the empire down in an hour. You know what I mean? It was the equivalent of that. I'm I'm looking at like there's 200 pages left in this book, and we're still just now getting to Boulder, just now getting to Las Vegas, and getting everything kind of lined up. And I'm thinking, I, I there's a reason there's a running gag, especially in the two It movies, of yeah, he can't do endings. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, we're going to definitely talk about the ending too. But but let me let me ask you this. All right, so the stuff that was added, I I don't obviously know what some of it was, but I do know that for example, there's like a fifty or sixty page chapter in the middle of it where Trash Can Man meets the kid, and that wasn't in the original version as I understand it. And I want to get oh. you guys' opinion on that. But let me but let me tell you this. I think that that chapter in in retrospect was vital. Because Trash Can Man is so important to the way the story comes out that you need to know a little bit more about him. He just You don't want him to just pop up at the end, basically, having done like one thing and be this important character. It's, it's too deus ex machina in a, in a certain way. So, so Joe, what did, what did you think about Trash Can Man and the Kid and, and, and finding out that that wasn't in the original version? And I want to get Gary's response, too. Yeah, I did not read the original shorter version. I read the the unabridged one, uh, so I I did not know that there was a difference. But so I went through it and got all the trash can man 
downloadable information like right then. Mm-hmm. And I could tell in the the Stan movie there was a lot more. Well, you, you the movie sh- there was a lot more they should have done with the trash can man to explain what the heck is going on with him. Yeah. In the movie, in the yeah. book, there's a lot of trash can man stuff, mm-hmm. but he just shows up in the Stan movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got. I, I was, to say about that too. I was excited when they were doing the movie because like, oh, they got Matt Frewer's trash can man. That's going to be great. And then, <laughs> oh, poor Matt Frewer. <laughs> he doesn't get to do yeah, a lot. Uh, he's he's good. He's excellent, but mm-hmm. yeah, but he's got like what ten minutes of screen time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And his dialogue is ninety percent Cibola, my life for you. <laughs> over yeah, and over and over. That's, ex- <laughs> that's pretty much. That's if you can get that part down, Matt, you'll have this script cold, buddy. That's all you got to remember. So <laughs> he's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you can just just record it a couple of times and just plug it in whenever you need it. So. Um, <laughs> All right, I want to. I think that we can go through some of the plot. And we're not going to go through the whole book line by line or anything, but I want to kind of work our way around the plot. And like I said, I have very, very, very strong feelings about how the plot plays out. And I, I don't want to just do the stereotypical. I mean, let me put it this way: I like the book. I, I like it a lot, and I don't dislike the ending so so much as I have questions and I have issues to raise about it that I want to discuss. It comes is, out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, in a way, it does. In a way, it does. And I have parallels I'm going to put out there about it, too. But before we get to that, I'm kind of saving that bomb for like our big finale. So, I wanna, Much like the actual book. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and you're right, because much like the actual book, I want to spend a whole lot of time at the beginning with the characters. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, that's King's formula, right? King's formula mm-hmm. is great big giant book where you really come to care about the characters. I mean, Lord, the you know, I've always said my favorite one of my two favorite Dark Tower books is Wizard and Glass because not a whole lot happens in that book, but man, do you come to care about the characters and what happens to them over the course of it. That book that book made me a little emotional. So mm-hmm. so this book gives you like about a thousand pages of just getting to know the characters as they come together and interact with each other. So let me start, Gary, start with you this time. Who are your one or two or three favorite characters and why? Oh, I love um, Stu, our main character. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, he's just a really well-drawn, simple, down-to-earth character. Um, I love Mother Abigail. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, again, because, you know, it's like, what's not to love about, you know, a, you know, everybody's favorite black grandmother that they wish they had. <laughs> sure. Um, I identified way too much with Harold as a teenager because <laughs> oh, I yeah. was the outcast. Sure. I was the guy picked on by everybody. And I think that's one of the reasons that the book also, there's a reason this book and, and Christine, I think are my two favorites. Mm. Uh, cause I can really identify and I was getting a little bit of a vicarious, yeah, stick it to him. Oh, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> you know, as, as, I, as I got older, I came to see the flaws in those characters and why maybe I shouldn't identify with them so much. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, and just Randall Flagg is one of the best villains in literature. Mm-hmm. I, I just love Randall Flagg. I think he's such a great character. And there's a reason that, you know, this is his first appearance. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason he's in everything Stephen King has ever written since. <laughs> Even if it's just a cameo, but he said, you know, even if I don't call him Randall Flagg, he's in there somewhere. 
Yeah, and we never even exactly find out what he is. They, they, there's a lot of things they call him. He has lots and lots and lots of nicknames, kind of like my 12-year-old daughter. But we never actually find out exactly. Is he the son of Satan? Is he like... He's, is, the, the closest thing I can think to him in literature is Narlathotep. He is some sort of malevolent being that's just here to f*** with us. <laughs> but yeah, but that and that, but that's his job. He shows up, causes chaos, leaves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I, okay. So you 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 said Stu and you said Harold. Harold, I want to talk about him for just a second. Then we'll get to Joe's and then mine. Mm-hmm. Harold, I think, is interesting in the sense that while we don't really love him, certainly not by the end. I think that mm-hmm. in terms of a fully drawn character that changes over the course of a story. It's oh, yeah. hard to beat him in, in, in a lot of literature, right? I mean, he really is a three-dimensional character that, that changes. Yeah. Oh, one of my favorite sections of the book is when we get to Boulder, and he's turned, and he's being Flag's agent, mm-hmm. and he's working with the sanitation crew, and he's like, oh, I hate this. And he still thinks that he's the outcast, and he should have Franny. He's, he's one of the first incels. Yes. Yes. But then when he has that realization that, Wait a minute. These guys aren't <laughs> fucking with me. They actually like me. Mm-hmm. Wait, these guys are being nice to me. Yeah, we're joking, but it's not mean-spirited. My acne, you know, he's he's like realizing that he it's a it's something that I personally had to go through like as you grow up. Yeah. And the tragedy that he does not choose to change and still goes with the plan and then dies realizing, you know, spoilers, dies realizing that he'd fucked up. Yeah. And made that poor choice. It's a great, like you said, it's one of the great arcs. When they when they start calling him Hawk, and they, and he realizes that they're not doing it to make fun of him. They think he's cool, and they give him a cool nickname. He's yeah. kind of like blink, blink. Wait, what? And you know what's interesting? I hadn't thought about this until you said that, Gary. But Trash Can Man goes through pretty much the same thing, where everybody makes mm-hmm. fun of him until he gets to Vegas, and the mean, nasty, uh, supposedly evil guys in Vegas like him and 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 talk nice to him. And it and the same way it it, it takes it takes him a minute to flip and decide to blow them all up. Right? It's when he it's when yeah. he thinks they're mad at him again. That it that switch flips in his head. It's it, so there's an interesting parallel between Harold and Trashcan Man. Yeah, there really are. And also want to give a shout out to Lloyd Flag's right hand man. I thought he was a great what? character, and him being played by um oh oh Ferrer uh, Miguel Ferrer. Oh, I love Miguel Ferrer. He's so great. Yeah, yeah. He Lloyd is, is good. <laughs> Lloyd goes from cannibalism to being a pit boss in Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Oh my goodness! And I love how Lloyd is like very the way that King writes Lloyd in the jail cell, very circumspect. Oh, yeah. Is like he's not like I'm going to have to eat my cellmate to survive. He's kind of like he looked at him. It's kind of like one of those cartoons where Bugs Bunny looks at the you know the critter and he turns into a steak or a piece of chicken or something. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. I kept <laughs> seeing a cartoon there. So, all right. So Joe, what characters really jumped out for you? I. Um I love Mother Abigail, like you know, like uh, like Gary mentioned. The idea that she was, I, I guess, what I expected was a, a big, like, knockdown, dragout fight with her and Randall Flag. I don't <laughs> know. Throwing lightning bolts at each other. <laughs> sure, yeah, that seemed to be where we were at. <laughs> and um, I don't know. Uh, I wanted. I wasn't super into uh, Stuart. As as much as I, f- mm. I felt like the book wanted me to be, I was more yeah. of a, I think a Larry guy. 
Yeah, yeah, I, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I, I love Tom, of course. Yeah, he and that own in that spells Tom. <laughs> and yeah, and there, but there, there. Um, I wouldn't say that he really had much of like an arc, really, because he was kind of just the same when he started as when he finished. He seemed to be—he seemed to be getting a little smarter at the end. Is the only thing he was starting to spell other things besides moon. Did you notice that? Toward the end, he started. Yeah, toward the end, he actually spells a couple of things the right way, and I'm like, whoa! Just a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, but but this is the start of one of the problems a lot of people have with Stephen King is the magically mentally challenged character. Mm. Yeah. I mean, okay. this and is pretty much ground zero for that trope for him. As <laughs> as it goes on, there's always one character who's got some sort of mental disadvantage mm-hmm. and that makes them a supernatural super whatever right and he does the same thing with nick who is a super mm. blind dude i thought he was well, he's the only thing he can oh, do i'm see. sorry not he, yeah deaf mute i'm sorry yeah. yes you're, you're you're correct but yeah he's a super deaf mute guy i guess i was thinking about daredevil but <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy mistake but, to compare to. Yeah, you know, uh, but it, uh, he um, also can access. Uh, he has the he has the the Nick, Nick has the spiritual connection that no one else has because he mm. can't hear stuff. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. And he I, he I, even he even communicates with Tom after he's dead. Yeah. Yeah, he becomes uh, a, a a ghost, which. I actually do love that scene when Tom hooks up with his ghost, and he's like, you can talk now. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I'm kind of dead now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I going back to, uh, I think, what my 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 deal with, uh, I, I wanted a better resolution for Larry after spending 800 pages with him. Oh, I've got stuff to oh, say yeah. about that. Uh, yes. And, and th- that is kind of where I, where it, because Stuart, you know, we get... Um, the last chunk of the book is just Stuart. And yes. my thought was, well, why didn't we spend any of this time with these other people who, mm-hmm. technically speaking, uh, gave uh, a little bit more of a measure of devotion to this whole thing? Mm-hmm. The ones that didn't get blowed up? <laughs> That's exactly right, yes. All right. Stephen King has said that when he ran into sort of writer's block on this book, he resolved mm-hmm. it by blowing people up, mm-hmm. yep. and that happens twice, basically. So, yeah. sh- so let's. I'll, I'll give you my favorite characters, and then I'm going to go ahead. I'm just. This is. This seems like a good transition point. I'm going to go ahead and roll out my Tolkien theory about all this. Not just my token mm-hmm. theory, but my Tolkien theory <laughs> about all this. All right. So stand by for that. But all right. Favorite. Now, now I want Elijah Wood in the HBO series. <laughs> I know. I know. We got to talk about that too. The 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 CBS All Access. Yeah. But um, all right. We also got to talk about the 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 TV, the nineteen ninety four miniseries briefly, if we want to a little bit there, because I know that you guys have a love in your hearts for old TV that's classic, and we'll do that. Yeah. All right, we'll dip our toes in that. Yep. But my favorite character is probably Larry is up there, and Franny and Nick. And like I said, I appreciate Harold, but you can't love him, right? And I, and also I love the idea that he's the yep. first incel. But I was I was just gonna say. Yeah, he's an incel up until Nadine shows up, and then it's yeah. just it's, he's having a party for a while there after that. So uh, that got kind of indeed. I, and I didn't know what to make of her, by the way. I she I guess it's because part of the time she's kind of under Randall Flagg's control, and part of the time she's not. So she really bounces back and forth between 
you know, oh my God, somebody save me, I'm going to hell versus let's party, everybody get naked, you know, I'm going to go yeah. have, I'm going to go We're going marry to a demon. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, and I'm like, I, it, she's like two completely different characters, and I guess it's just because of his waxing and waning of his influence over her. Would you, Gary, would you agree with that? that that's kind of why she's kind of split personality? Yeah, definitely. I mean, okay. she's, she's definitely manipulated by Flag. She's almost like a dark Mary mm. um, because, you know, she feels like she's destined to be Flag's yeah. concubine and have his kid and give birth to the Antichrist and all that. And then when it comes down to it, she's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, this, <laughs> is, this is what I, this is not what I expected. <laughs> and, we, and we never find out why, right? I mean... Yeah, we don't know why Mother yeah, Abigail just, was her. We don't know why Nadine was Nadine. We don't really know why anybody was chosen if they were chosen, and it wasn't just random. I mean, yeah. I'm imagining Randall Flagg had his pretty much his pick of any woman in Vegas, and he wants this one. You know, Laura San Giancomo is who I always imagine <laughs> to cross the whole continent for him. And I'm like, I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I mean, I like Laura San Giancomo. Don't get me wrong, you know, but I don't know if. You know, is she, is she, is she that great? <laughs> I don't, I don't. Yeah, what was so, and, and again, we'll get to the, 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 the movie, but oh my gosh, the, the, thing, the scene in the desert when he's like, okay, the big love scene, let's get down to business. And she's like, whoa, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I did not sign up for this. No, no. Well, in fact, before we do the Tolkien thing, let's talk about that TV miniseries a little bit, too. Uh, let's go ahead while we're talking about it. I, I have referred to it in multiple places before as, quote, pretty terrible, unquote. But I have to <laughs> but I have to say, it's just aspects of it that are. I mean, see, here's, the, the, here's both the good and bad side of Stephen King writing the screenplay. The good side is he included pretty much everything that really needed to be there to understand the story, whereas a lot of screenwriters that would be writing it for him, you know, could have, as we've mm-hmm. seen with many other Stephen King properties, can screw it up. So... When Stephen King writes it, you really do get a der- – they basically shot the book. I mean, you can't yeah. – you know, yeah. they pretty much shot well, the book. And, yeah, and King was on top of the world at this particular point because he yeah. had, like, I think two different ABC miniseries that had done very incredibly well in the ratings. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, you know, a literary giant by the, that point anyway. Yeah. Uh, so it was – ABC was basically writing blank checks at this point of, like, okay, well, we'll give you – it's, what, three nights? Yeah. Is it – yeah, yeah, I think three so. nights for the stand, which three it or four, needs. may have been four at, at least. Yeah. yeah, it might be four. I'll have to go back and look. Without the, without, sure the without the commercials, it's shorter and it's harder to, for me to get a sense of it watching the DVDs. Yeah, so yeah. so so there's a there's an upside and a downside to giving somebody a blank check, especially to mm-hmm. their own work. Yeah, and I, so the good side is you get everything, but the bad side is what works in a book doesn't necessarily work in a TV show, which is why I'm really looking forward to the to the upcoming CBS All Access version, which is going to be like 10 hours long, because I feel like he's surely they're going to let somebody that writes contemporary streaming video stuff like you'd see on CBS All Access or or Netflix or something write it, and it's probably going to be a lot more snappy. Because what I'm what I, my main flaw my main fault with it is it it has a it it. It, it's slow. It has a lot of mm-hmm. scenes where the actors just kind of sit there and look at each other, and the mm-hmm. camera doesn't really move. So, Joe, you said you just had watched it. What? How? How would you react to it? What would? What? How would you describe the '94 miniseries? Your it, thoughts? 
Now, th this is usually not a criticism from me when I say this about a thing, but it seemed dated. Yeah. It seemed very much early 90s TV. And I get when you have a big budget, maybe I'm unfairly comparing it to all the Stephen King feature films, which had bazillions of dollars and, um, you know, uh, A-list actors doing their thing. Now, there's good people in this. There's really good actors in this. Oh, yeah. Um, but it it's... And it, it, it's um, mm, mm, trying to crystallize what I'm saying. It's it's like they he got the actors, and it seems like they're just reading the book aloud. Yes. Mm. Yeah. The cast is great. I mean, I actually love the cast. I yeah, just I felt mean, like we we got Lieutenant Dan, we got Molly Ringwald, we exactly. got Molly yes. Rare, we have the guy from Law and Order. Oh yeah, it's a great cast. But they're it's they're all so stiff. I felt like it's partly the direction as well as the mm. script. There's a lot of standing around. Mm -hmm. and, and I there's a part of me that wonders because, you know, you, I can't bring up Stephen King adaptations without talking about The Shining. Yeah. Right. Because The Shining by Kubrick is a masterpiece. It's barely King's book. Yes. But it's a masterpiece. <laughs> and everybody knows how salty Stephen got about that. Mm -hmm. He's come around on it now. I mean, these days is that... If, Part of his being older and having been hit by a van, but he's come around and I was like, yeah, it's good. You know, I like that people like it. It's not my favorite, but at least he's cool with it now. Mm -hmm. But for the longest time, he was really salty about it, and that's the whole reason they did the stand as the miniseries with the guy with uh, Stephen Weber, the guy from Wings, because he wanted to do it right. Damn it! And I yeah. think part of it is because he was so salty, because he was so vocal, because he was so powerful at the time. You know, speak, uh, as in, in the entertainment industry, that when they did the stand and they, everybody was making a big deal of we're doing the stand because it was such a highly regarded book, that I think that they were kind of afraid to do too much than just mm. film the book. And like mm. Joe said, you can't really do an adaptation like that, you know, or like you've said, Van, you know, what works in a book doesn't always work in, in film. Yeah, my now, note my note here was pedestrian and dated. Instead of pretty terrible, I'm going to go with pedestrian and dated. Yeah. It and it's it's it just looks like something from the 90s. Yeah. Mhm. Mm and a lot of uh uh and now I, I don't I don't know how to unpack my feeling about that. Now, I I like it. Mm -hmm. Like I like I said, I just watched it like just a few weeks ago. Well, so it's very fresh. Now there are some really good set pieces in it, like mm -hmm. the opening montage with the mm -hmm. Blue Oyster Cult. Golden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely terrific. Uh and um even the scene at the beginning with Captain Dan and the um the car rolling in and him going, Turn off the pumps. That's mm -hmm. excellent. And, but that's that's um most of it for for me as far as as far as good set pieces mm -hmm. yeah i think it's it's some things are such a moment of their time that they become timeless uh like a, like predator for yeah. example it's an 80s action movie this is about as 80s action movies you can get <laughs> but it doesn't feel dated it just feels like it crystallizes what was good about the 80s yeah and then you watch something like this where it's Oh, it's '90s. It's not that the '90s is bad, but like, I'm trying to think of an '80s movie that does the same thing. Um, and, okay, my fellow Gen Xers are going to crucify me for this. <laughs> Reality bites. 
it's very much a late 80s movie but it feels like a dated 80s movie mm. it feels like it's stuck in the 80s not like it's a celebration of the 80s yeah okay if that yeah. makes any sense yeah the on, on that same uh, I, I i'm glad i i almost forgot to say this but the the scene with molly ringwald mm-hmm. speaking of being dated uh the scene with molly ringwald and her dying father Mm. When she puts on a record, and this is in the book, uh, he says, I, I put on a record that we both liked, I think. But then on the show, on the movie, she puts on a, a record, and it's Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I love that song, but it's not really a song you think about. Like, I'm going to sit, I'm going to play it for my dying father. <laughs> Don't it's, yeah. That's so that took point. me right out of the movie. I, 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 I kind of. Now I want it reset in the nineties. Like I'm gonna put on a record that me and my daddy loved. Do 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 some techno pop thing. <laughs> it is funny that in the book when he redid it for 1990, he went in and added a bunch of 80s, early 90s type pop references that weren't in the original book i assume right because it came out in 78 and i kept and that was when i first realized he'd actually like rewritten it he didn't just put stuff back in he actually went through and rewrote the whole book which he said he does you can find you know videos on youtube of him talking about this and he he actually like changed all the references because now the plague happens like 10 years later than it happened originally So yeah, that's t- also one of the reasons I was a little resistant to read the expanded because it's like, like I said, I'd read the original one like 10 mm. times by yeah. that point. I was like, I don't want it to change that much. Well, when I saw the Madonna reference, I'm like, well, how did he know about Madonna in 1978? And I'm like, oh, he changed stuff. <laughs> he's changed stuff. Okay. That's fine. It started getting into George Lucas territory. Like, oh, he's adding things later, you know, like he's going to put out a version next year that has, you know, that, that mentions, you know, stuff from uh, like mentions nine 11 and stuff, you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the plague is caused by midichlorians. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh, Lord. That is In a plague. The book, they, they constantly, of course, mention, and do the lyrics for "Baby, Can You Dig Your Man?" Yeah, it did not sound like a song to me. It I never no. got until watching the movie. Like, oh, okay, that's how that would sound as a yeah. song. Yeah, oh, I agree. I kept trying to make. Yeah. It's like reading the Lord of the Rings when you keep trying to figure out what the tune is, and every time somebody sings a song, you get the lyrics, and you're like, well, how would that go? I don't, uh, you know. And yeah, I couldn't. I kept saying. Baby, can you dig your man? He's a righteous. Something yeah. like that. But yeah. I, yeah, it's definitely that's the other thing. It's definitely a seventies rock song. Yes. And it does not work as an eighties rock song. Mm-hmm. No, and in the movie it's very eighties. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's right. So all right, well let's talk about the upcoming before we before we get into the big I wanna I do want to definitely talk about the story and the plot and all that and break down the ending, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to say that kind of for the end a little bit. So what are we what are we kind of looking for? Because my gosh, I, I want to reiterate this since you just mentioned uh, Molly and everything, Molly Ringwald and all. This thing had a great, the 94 miniseries had a great cast. I mean, Molly Ringwald yeah. is at still at the height of her powers and her beauty in it. Laura, Cian, Laura San Giancomo is, is gorgeous in it and is great. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Rob, uh, was it Rob Lowe as, as Nick? Yeah, yeah Rob as Lowe as Nick. Fantastic. Uh, the guy from Coach as Cullen. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about Miguel Ferrer. And oh, oh, just so many. Lieutenant Dan, uh, you know, Gary Sinise was on a rocket at that point. His career was yes. really picking up. 
Yeah, it was about the same time he did for, uh, Forrest Gump, wasn't it? Yeah, right about it was the same right time. Right before, right near. But yeah, it was 94. like he was like everybody was like, "Wow, they got Gary Sinise." Yeah, hmm. and and I want to say the guy that plays Larry is fantastic, and he never really did much else. He's been in. I looked him up because I was curious. Mm-hmm. And he's done a few things here and there. I want to say he's the son of like a big Hollywood producer or something. But I thought he was great. I I totally yeah, bought and, him as Larry. Yeah, and who was it who played Harold? Oh, it was the guy from Stargate. Yeah, Colin, uh, Corin uh, Nemec. Lewis. He's Parker Lewis from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Yeah. Is he? I, I love him. Mm-hmm. He was also in Mansquito and like 12 <laughs> oh, other sci-fi original movies. Oh, no. Yeah, I had forgotten about the Parker Lewis thing. I, I recognized him from, from Stargate where he's um, he replaces the... Uh, he replaces the uh, the translator character that. Um, oh yeah, Daniel Jackson. Yeah, he's he's he yeah. replaces Daniel Jackson for a couple of seasons when that actor was like holding out for more money or whatever. Um, but I thought he was really good in it. So, but it was weird to see him younger here, you know, as yeah. uh, as like a basically playing a teenager. I think he's supposed to be like fifteen when the book starts. Yeah, yeah. I think in the book he's fifteen. The actor was older, but they always you know skew yeah. older. Yeah. Any other actors or that we want to mention from the '94? Uh, I thought the guy that played Randall Flagg was about as good as he looked like. Yeah, a, he, he looked like great. a young. He looked like a young Don Imus or something. But I thought he was good. I yeah. mean, yeah, he, he definitely had '80s hair. But yeah. yeah, he went on to be the 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 main lieutenant in all the Law and Order series. He's oh, like okay. their boss. And he's um, he was the dad on Arrow, who dies in the first episode. Oh, that's oh. right, he was, and then comes back. 20 other times in, oh. in uh, flashbacks and such. But I, I didn't know that until... You I, have failed this adaptation. <laughs> yeah. But he's... God. <laughs> oh, no. He, he's very uh, accurate to the description in the books. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I dug that. He And, and I know that in um, the Dark Tower movie, which I have yet to see, dang it, You're lucky. Matthew McConaughey plays Randall Flagg. Yeah, more or less, yes. I couldn't get that out of my head when I was watching this guy playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that leads to an interesting story because the, the heavy metal band Anthrax did an album, Among the Living, which the main song, Among the Living, is a, a, about this book. And the cover of that album has that Randall Flagg looking like the, the creepy preacher from Poltergeist 2. <laughs> and I had one friend who was so disappointed because he loved, you know, he was a metalhead. He loved that album. He was like, How, tell me about Randall Flagg in the books. What's he, what's he look like? And I described him. And he was like, that's not how you're supposed to look at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I mean, I, I do know that for the upcoming version that CBS All Access is going to be doing, putting out, I guess, this fall. I guess they've already filmed it. So it, we will get it. The coronavirus is not going to deny us, hopefully, our... Our remade plague. Yeah, our coronavirus (laughs) isn't going to deny us our most famous movie about the plague. Oh my goodness! How ironic would that be if the if the stand was delayed by the coronavirus? That's pretty funny. (laughs) Um, But the the cast that I do know is that Whoopi Goldberg is playing Mother Abigail, which is perfect. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she'd be great. And um, there's a couple of others. But the, it's, the cast is not quite as big time this time around. But that doesn't necessarily be a bad thing because, no. honestly, a lot of me watching the 94 version is me going, hey, it's Molly Ringwald. Hey, it's, you know, Captain Dan. <laughs> hey, hey, it's uh, it's Max Headroom, you know. So it, it might actually be nice to see a few less lesser-known actors in these roles, you know. Yeah. 
So what are y'all expecting from it? I mean, what do you, what do you, anything you're particularly looking for them to do differently or to do right or whatever? Thoughts? I just want a good adaptation. I mean, I'm really trying to keep my expectations low because anytime I get my hype machine going, uh, <laughs> most of the time it, I end up being disappointed. So I have, sure. I have started doing a, eh, as, as long as it doesn't suck, you know, you know, hit, I, I wanted sure. to hit the major story beats, you know, I want baby to be your man to be like a, a throwback song. That's why it's a hit. It's like, <laughs> wow, this song sounds like it's from the seventies. I want it to be ironically cool, not cool. Cool. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just hope they clean up that ending. When, well, and we'll get to that. When, when when should it be set? Should it be contemporary, or should it be a period piece set in seventy eight or ninety, or what? Oh God, either of those. I, it, I, I would now. I kind of want it to be a seventy eight period. Piece. I know. I I'm just starting thinking. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you gotta. There, there's something. Well, sadly, it's something more innocent about the idea of a plague decimating society back then. Uh huh. I mean, it was like Carter wasn't bad enough. <laughs> I like Carter. I kid. I kid. I, yeah, kid. I know. Yeah, Jimmy Carter's something. But, but I mean, but no, no, it, it feels like this was a uh, generally apocalypses in fiction mm-hmm. involve you know apes on horseback. <laughs> so they, now we want that in the stand. Okay. I, I'd be okay with it, but they didn't involve. Just, Get your filthy paws off me. You haven't sanitized. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have a germ and then the aftermath, which mm-hmm. is what this book is. Uh, it's This is what happens after. There's yeah. nothing. There's no fight. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no fight against the germ. It's it's right. the pandemic or the, the, the thing happens and then pff, everybody it. dead. The end. Mm, yeah. And we have to pause here to thank the fine folks who keep programs like this one on the air for us and for you. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join the White Rocket family and help keep shows like this on the air. Help pay all of our expenses. We can keep bringing you fine programs like the one you're listening to today. Go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or just go to patreon.com and search for Plexico, Van Plexico, or White Rocket. They'll all bring you to the same place and just sign up. And for as little as a dollar a month, of course, we appreciate anything more that you'd like to help out with. You can help keep our shows going and get early access to various projects and shows that we do. Our current patrons include... Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Brian Gray, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens, along with William Morgan, Emmanuel Seaman, W.D.E. Ritchie, Winston Boddy, Clinton Stewart, Christopher Stewart, Mickey B., Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, A.U. Falling Up, Alchemist, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, and then we have Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Rob Morgan, Blake Heron, Hugh Anderson, Stephen Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Ziederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Shane Bailey, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Nguyen, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, and C.T. Wayne. And finally, we have Jeremy Minton, Ward M. Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Mick Vigicana, Russell Souther, Paul Bankson, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, 
Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle, Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Chris Brent Rumble, and our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank all of you so much. We appreciate you keeping our shows going, and we will continue to turn out content going forward into the future to hopefully make you all happy. Go to www.plexico.net or just go to patreon.com and search Plexico or White Rocket. And back to our show. Yeah, that's actually something I would like to see them explore more that King has talked about. The theme of the book, one of the themes anyway, is the fact that, okay, the world has ended, but it hasn't really ended. So just because 90% of the population is gone, our problems really don't change. Yeah. Yeah. The same yeah. same problems just keep going. There's just fewer of us arguing about them, but it's the same arguments. Well, one of the reasons that I'm concerned about the time. Boulder section. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm concerned about the time setting is if you give them all cell phones, it changes the story pretty drastically. Even now, (laughs) understanding that the power's out, you know, and they can't get a signal or whatever, but even still, there's parts of this story where modern technology compared to just a few years ago makes a different story. But I. (sighs) Yeah, it it takes a while for that infrastructure to fall apart. So it's like. Oh no! What do we do? Hold on, Wikipedia is still up. It says that we. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a different. It's a different. It really is a different story. I. That's man. So we'll set to see. All right, I'm gonna roll out my big comparison here, and I want you guys' reaction. All right. So, I have described this story once I finished the book as this is Lord of the Rings, and he he said, King said he wanted this to be his Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings set in America. This is Lord of the Rings after he has clear-cut the USA to make it Middle-earth. He had to get rid of a whole lot of people to make, make it Middle-earth, okay? With the Rocky mm-hmm. Mountains, basically, as the Misty Mountains. Tra- there's no doubt Trash Can Man is Gollum. That is mm-hmm. his job, uh-huh. okay? His job is to accidentally save the day at the end, which is what Gollum does, right? The right. F- you have four hobbits, along with a dog, who walk mm-hmm. into Mordor on foot... But here's where it kind of goes a little awry, okay? And here's where, the, here's where I think the Lord of the Rings ending is superior, and this ending just kind of falls apart. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, because with a book like this, the whole world falls apart. So it, in some ways, it felt appropriate to me that the ending does kind of just fall apart, because the whole thing is about the center cannot hold, things fall apart, you know, all that. So I don't, I don't have a huge criticism for the ending. I just want to talk about it. So here is my question. Well, I'll state it this way. Do the actions of the big four, the hobbits, walking into Mordor at the end, does that do anything? Or are they like Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark? They're there, but their actions don't actually affect the outcome of the story at all. Because they send three spies, mm-hmm. and the spies don't do anything anything more or less except get killed and not divulge information except Tom who actually gets to do something good but all Tom really does is clean up the mess from the other four because Stu didn't actually go and do anything and so Tom brings him home so basically the three here's the last Lord of the Rings uh, comparison so the three who actually make it to Vegas were in a position to be like Aragorn marching his army to the Black Gate to distract Sauron while, you know, Frodo and Sam destroy the ring. So, you know, you can look at it as, 
Larry and the other two guys are basically the 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 Aragorn and the army standing in front of the Black Gate telling Sauron to come out, you know, to distract him. But there's nothing else going on that they're distracting from. Like if if yeah. if Stu had somehow gotten up and gone and destroyed the magic ring, then it would be a good, you know what I'm saying, one to one, but they don't mm-hmm. do anything. So, last thought, what this means is this is like this is like if the Lord of the Rings ended with Gollum by himself tripping and falling into the volcano and destroying the ring, and then the eruption of the volcano killed Aragorn and Gondor and Rohan armies, and the only people to survive are Frodo and Sam, who got halfway to Mordor, turned around, and went back home. Your th- <laughs> All right, your thoughts. You're, you're not wrong. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the only the only thing with the, and I was thinking about it as you were going down there. The only thing mm-hmm. those three do is gather everybody in the center of Las Vegas so that they're all there when the bomb shows up. That's true. But it's a nuke. <laughs> it's a nuclear bomb. Doesn't as long matter. as people were within like 10 miles yeah. of the center of Las Vegas, they were going to get wiped out. So there was no real reason to gather everybody. Um, and, and there was no change. Like uh, Even if there were a couple of... of Randall's followers in Vegas were like, well, maybe this whole thing is not such a good idea. They all got killed. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. did. And some of them even before the bomb because Randall Flagg knew about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like Stu, like you said, all he does is he falls down and breaks his leg so he can be there when Tom Cullen can, so Tom Cullen can find him and lead him home. Mm -hmm. But he didn't, do anything. He didn't. No. That was the that was the one fake out that I actually appreciated by King, right? Mother Abigail uh-huh. says four of you go, but one of you won't make it. So you assume one of them's going to die and you're like, "Oh, which of these four is going to die? Oh no, is it going to be Stu? Is it going to be Larry? Which of these four is going to die?" Well, what she meant was one of the four of you won't make it to Vegas and gets to live. Yeah. It's the opposite. Congratulations. <laughs> it's funny. She'd said, Stu, yeah. you won't make it. Stu would be like, oh, crap. But no, no, no. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. You won't be there at Ground Zero. And like you exactly. said, there's also like, a Joe reference. Like Larry, not Larry, um, Lloyd was starting to turn around and go, you know, maybe I picked mm-hmm. the wrong side. Maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't be. And the cook. With- and the cook was saying, yeah. you know, I'm going to leave. I'm heading out of here. Yeah. Yeah, well, too late, buddy. <laughs> too late. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the and the way it just, you know, Randall Flagg is showing off his magic and then all of a sudden God gets involved and turns into a hand and blows up the nuke. I mean, that's about as deus ex machina as you can get. <laughs> that yeah. is literally the <laughs> literally. <definition. laughs> yeah. Suddenly it's God's hand. Like what the what the, the yes. what okay. <laughs> Now, so, if, if someone, for example, yeah. Stu or one of the three dudes had channeled the big man, you know, and been like, mm-hmm. I got I got the god power, baby, you know, mm-hmm. that would have been something. Yeah. But yeah. Or no. if one of them had been like, oh, wait, somebody's bringing a nuke. I've got it. I've rigged up a detonator <laughs> and it's a sacrifice. Yeah. 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 They, yeah. All three. Now, I, I, all three of them said, well, suck it. Randall Flag, we're we're mm-hmm. we're good people that believe in goodness, mm-hmm. but that didn't and not badness. <laughs> yeah, but that didn't do anything. It didn't it didn't do anything, right? They they defied him, but to what end? 
they inspired some people among his followers that maybe they shouldn't follow him so much. But they, yeah, but they get nuked but anyway. They, yeah. There's no like well, they get to go. They get to go to heaven. <laughs> I guess that's it. I guess we're being too literal. Yeah. I guess that you I mean, had to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that like the, supposed to be like the crucifixion? Yeah, yeah, it was the three of them up there on the behind the crosses, or was it just posts? I don't remember. No, they were going to be put in. They were in cages, and they were going to be pulled apart. Oh, right, right. Oh, okay, and and but one, yeah, it can't be the crucifixion because which one was Jesus? If (laughs) Uh, he was the one with the broken leg, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, if Jesus did not go to the, (laughs) if he got halfway, halfway to Jerusalem, broke his leg. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, we crucified Paul, Peter, and uh, Steve. <laughs> That's it. I mean, well, and, and I want to again. I want to point out we're not crapping on it. We we all three enjoyed this, right? And we love it. I mean, oh, this yeah. is this is up there. Yeah, yeah. But we're just saying King has a way, especially you know, stereotypically with his endings, and they're worth talking about. They're worth kind of exploring because. If he'd sat down with us, of course, it would have been 1977 or something, so I don't know how much yeah. contribution we could have made, but if he could have come to would now... to ask for more Slurpees. Yes. I, I would have said, put in robots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> could, could a predator be in this, possibly, <laughs> Mr. King? Well, well, you know, Joe, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> You, but you, yeah, you know, I mean, that may be what happened. And it needs to be a big blue hand made of fire. God, it's awesome. I, it, it, it made even less sense in the in the in the miniseries. And I'm wondering again if they're gonna. I just really wonder how much they're gonna change for the upcoming miniseries because yeah, the the use of superpowers yeah. in the mm-hmm. final third of the miniseries seemed, although we've been building up to it, the fact that this dude is is a devil or mm-hmm. the devil. Mm-hmm. But when yeah, finally, and Mother Abigail is this at ESP spiritual thing, yeah, yeah. But when you finally see it, you're like, wait a minute. And I got to point out too, I can't think of any other general secular popular work that doesn't just have such a strong religious theme to it, but has like literally, you know, Christianity as such a major important part of it. And I'm not saying that that's bad at all. Sir, I'm saying there's the left behind books wish to have a okay. word with you. <laughs> well, but but they kind of they're kind of predicated on that though. This kind of sneaks up on you, right? <laughs> they're I mean, also you, kind of crap. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> well, I mean in this though, you don't read the stand thinking you're going to get a Christian sermon. Exactly. I would I would have expected that from the left behind books. I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to be Sunday school with with action. Oh, and you got it. You got it. <laughs> it's it's Michael Bader. Michael Bay directs church. Okay, but, but but this is this I go into expecting, you know, demons and monsters and stuff. And you get that in a lot of Stephen King's books, but there's not a lot of Stephen King's books where you get the demons and monsters and then you have people like saying, "Oh, let's pray to Jesus." And we're going to, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of that in it. And again, not bad, not good. I'm just saying it's just interesting that he goes that far with it that by the end of this book, you really feel like you know, it is the Christian God running everything, and this was all a big like the Book of Job gets referenced a couple of times, you know, or, or the flood or whatever. I just found that really interesting. What did you guys think about 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 that angle of it? Did it surprise you, or what do you think? Yeah, and now I I knew somewhat what what to expect just from talking to my sweetie pie, um, you know, and who who had read it and loved it for years. She reread it frequently, and uh, the um, so I knew what to look for. Look for, but the 
change from it being a a a, a, a pandemic apocalypse book mm-hmm. to it being a a um, magical right. quest book to a get right with Jesus book by the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> there was no like with the the three guys up on the uh, who were about to be sacrificed when Trash Can Man detonates the bomb. There was no arc, spiritual arc for them that I remember. Well, Larry, it wasn't like these yeah. guys were all jerks who learned no. to be good guys. They were right. already good guys. Yeah, Larry has a good arc, but the other two are just kind of like along for the ride. They're Mary and Pippin. They're kind of Mary and Pippin without the you know becoming soldiers of Rohan and Gondor even. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're they're red shirts. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think yeah, that's it, one of the things I like about Larry. He has a good story arc, but the other two are just yeah. kind of along. I, and Larry's arc just kind of ends because it's like he he he, he figures he out how to be a yeah he figures out how to be a better person and stand up for himself, and then he gets blown up. I I don't have as much problem with that. I, but I agree though. I wish they had more agency. I wish they could have done mm-hmm. more somehow. It, yeah, it it very much does strike me and the way a lot of Bible stories are where, you know, God is going to get involved, but only at this place, at this time, under these particular circumstances. You know, for some reason, God likes to, you know, be, you know, like a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. Instead of getting, instead of showing up and actually getting involved, like, no, you got to go here, you have to do this thing, and then you get it, and then I'll do the, then I'll break down the walls of Jericho. Because the, um, the, the hero of this story is... And that's is, kind of what happens here, is like, well, yeah. you three need to get there so that he does this, and then I'll do that. But you're God. Can't you shush? I'm busy. <laughs> that's, that's a good <laughs> point. Good point. But the hero of this story really is the trash can man, right? Who blows up the entire evil Air Force? Trash can man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who, mm-hmm. who blows up the Air Force base? Trash can man. Who kills Randall Flagg, or more or less, and, and takes out Vegas? Trash can man. But he does it all himself. He, he's not encouraged by Stu or Larry or anything. He doesn't yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't look upon them and have his heart yeah. changed by their worthy. Yeah. If, if we had just had a paragraph where he drives up yeah. and he sees them and he's like, oh, I could be better. I could make a noble sacrifice like they are. And he says, Sets off the bomb himself. Instead, he just drives up. My life for yeah, you. Just, my life for you. Yeah. And then yeah, he the, just and, shows up with the bomb, and he doesn't even really set off the bomb. No. He's just he's the, the one that brings the bomb, and then God's able to go. Ah, now I can do something. The little lightning <laughs> bolt like, that that, that ran a flag. Yeah. So the the moral of the story is that Randall Flag defeats himself by poor personnel hiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's the whole reason Trash Can went off to get the nuke in the first place. Is Flag told him basically to f off, and so he was like, "Oh, I gotta make my get my way back into his good graces." I yes. know a nuke. <laughs> yes, and he has some kind of his mystical power is finding crap in the desert. He yeah. drive off in the desert in his little vehicle and come back with weapons and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, and and they didn't. We, we were told in it, again. Um, uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but. Uh, I feel like I remember we were told that uh, Randall Flagg couldn't affect Tom or people mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. differently able mentally. Yeah. Or he yeah. couldn't see them. We, we didn't see it. Well, we saw yeah, it. Yeah, well, we, yeah, we get a little bit of it where Flagg is like trying to find the spies and he's able to sort of see them. But there's one that he can't see, yeah, and yes. all he can see is when he focuses on that one is an image of the moon. Yeah, that's great. That was great. Yeah, now, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, because, you know, M-O-O-N, that's supposed to be. Oh, so the moon. That's the only thing that blocks him. 
Yeah, that was pretty good. I, there's so see that's one of the things that's frustrating about it is that to me is that there's so many good elements to this that I wish he could have just oh, yeah. totally closed the deal. I feel like he got it right up there and it just doesn't quite close the deal. But it's it's if, so if close. He had, if mm. he had spent as much time with the dudes walking to Mordor, you know. Yeah. If he had spent as much time with them as he spent with broken leg ass stew in the <laughs> yeah. coming back. Yeah. Cause it, much it, like it, the Lord of the Rings movies, the book ends and then goes on for like 400 pages. Oh yeah. Exactly. Like. And yes. the book, the stand goes on where, okay, now we're riding on a snow- snowmobile. Now yep. we found a truck and we're going, it's taken us forever. Even though it was like getting there took what, seem like five pages and then the the latter few hundred pages of the book are dumbass trying to get home after breaking his full leg <laughs> and he comes into the he comes in the room where franny's giving birth and she's and this is how i've written that and and, and franny's like oh Stu, you saved us all he's like ah uh, no not so much well, but but you went over there and you defeated randall flack no i didn't even get there yeah. But what what did you do? I broke my leg and lay around the ditch for a while, and then then, then uh, Tom and then brought I hung me home out with Moon Boy. Hang out with him, yeah, it was awesome. And then and, and Fran be like, oh, saved everybody. <laughs> crazy. Well, just me. Yeah, actually, just just me. He only saved me. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, let's let's kind of in our last thing here, just say, are there any other parts of the? Because we've kind of talked about the two TV miniseries. We talked about the the ending and all that and the characters. Are there any other parts that you really kind of like that affected you or you thought were really great that you want to mention? Uh, Joe, start out. What 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 do we what have we not mentioned that you want to throw out there before we wrap up? Um, another big hero of the book mm. that we have yet to mention is the dog Kojak. Oh, Kojak! Oh, yeah, Big Steve. One of the great dogs. I love that dog. Mm-hmm. I assumed he was going to get killed at some point and didn't. And he did so point, much more than a lot of the others. <laughs> yeah, than a lot of the humans. Yes, and they made such a weird comment. They they made multiple comments, but well, I haven't seen any animals. What the hell happened to all the animals? Except Kojak. <laughs> and then there were horses eventually, or somebody saw a cow or a goat. <laughs> I forget what. Yeah. Yeah. But that is one of the things that the the, the disease does that does that thank God's not really happening is that it is cross species. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, what kill the dogs. I, they I, found I a, never they, got a They found a girl dog and they were gonna have like the Adam and Eve dog that with, with Kojak. I did catch that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he was a he was a real good dog, and he um, was. <laughs> and saved Stuart's dumbass. <laughs> he I'm, did. I'm getting madder and madder at Stuart the longer this podcast Kojak goes on. Kojak accomplished way more than Stuart did. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> that we need to make that a white rocket bumper sticker. Kojak was better than Stu. Kojak, Kojak a little greater than Stu. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, Gary, any character or moment you want to highlight? I'm glad you mentioned Kojak because we did need to mention him, and I totally forgot about him, and I feel bad. Uh, for a book moment, one of my favorite moments that's always stuck with me was the one guy who screws up and kills the spy who's trying to get away. I forget which one. <laughs> and oh. he realizes, oh, crap, I killed that guy. Flag wanted him alive. The and judge. The guy killed the judge. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And Flag shows up is one of the most terrifying things. Mm-hmm. Because we don't see much. We just get from the guy's point of view a flag coming at him. And he's like, 
I think he was afraid of bats, and he was like afraid it was going to be bats. And the yeah. last lines was, "There are so many worse things than bats." Like tea. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, it was a great moment. It always stuck with me. Um, but and in the movie, which it's a scene somewhat near. I think it's the same scene where, but John Landis, uh, Clive Barker, and one other horror director are the. Are, it's their cameo scene. Oh. Oh wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. I and I think that. it's John Landis is the one that gets, you know, killed by flag. Oh, okay. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the thing I want to talk about that we didn't really go over is the fact that why I keep reading this book and why I keep reading Stephen King and why I keep rereading him, we kind of glossed on it a bit earlier, though, is character. He builds such great, believable worlds and great, believable characters that you just want to spend time with. And one of the things he's talked about in his books about writing and everything is the more real you make the characters and the more real you ground the book in the real world. Like we were talking about, he mm-hmm. making the music references and the pop culture references. He was one of the first writers to really do that. Uh, up until that time, everybody would invent their own like brand name products because licensing mm-hmm. rights and all this. But he was one of the first people to talk about like the characters went to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. They're right. listening to Bruce Springsteen on the radio. Yeah. And so, you know, like you said, it's, the more real the world is before you introduce the creepy stuff, the more people buy in and the more that they'll buy the creepy stuff. Like, oh, this is obviously a real world. They had a Big Mac. So obviously the giant thing <laughs> living in the sewer system's real. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is, it's, it's weird to me. We we're talking about it before this show started. It's weird to me that this is his third book. Because yeah. when I read it, you know, because, you know, being a kid, Anything that was out before I became aware of it had obviously been around for ages. Stephen King, oh, he's been a writer for forever. Mm. You know, wait a minute, this is his third book? Third or fourth, yeah. Wow, most people have to have, you know, ten books under their belt before they get this level of craft. Uh, Yeah, and to get to this level of, like, magnum opus Mm -hmm. style, like, epic style. Everybody... Yeah, everybody likes to talk about how he is a giant of literature and how part of it being as prolific, but he was, you know, the king of the, pardon the expression, king of horror in the 80s. And it's shocking to me to remember that he'd only been writing since 77, and then he's dominating the industry like that. I was like, I felt like he'd been like, you know, it's like saying Vincent Price in the 70s. Of course, he's a master of cinematic horror. He's Vincent effing Price. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just how quickly he came and stayed. Yeah, that's true. No, when The Shining came out, it was his third book, and then The Stand, and and yet it felt like he'd been around forever by that time. It's like it was like Carrie and and Salem's Lot just mm-hmm. immediately made him rock solid. And when I remember when The Shining came out, the the book, all the book, the big hubbub about it. You know, it was like it was this giant thing, and you would never dream that he'd only had two books out. It's really, it is quite remarkable. I um I want to mention that he is in the miniseries a good bit. He's like a bit character that that takes. Yeah. He actually is yeah. the one that takes Nadine to Boulder, which was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and the the I the you mentioned the judge. He's a character that again points out what I'm saying earlier about how it needed to even be even longer because. He's a pretty important character, and yet we, he just kind of pops up two-thirds of the way through the story and does like one or two things and then gets killed. And it would have helped if we'd gotten to know him a little bit more along the way like we did all the others. He just mm-hmm. We just kind of get to the point where he needs they need a guy to send off as a spy, and so we're told, oh, the, ki- the judge is awesome. I'm like, well, who's the judge? I don't know who you're talking about. 
And then uh, the one character I thought that King did a really good job of using, and then you think you'll never see them again, and then they come back later in an important way, is the crazy lady that has sex with Nick in like yeah. Kansas or Oklahoma or wherever. And yeah. then she turns up again later in Vegas and recognizes uh, Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool how he brought her back, and and she could like betray. And, and she was in the movie in the in the miniseries. She was like that actress did a great job because I couldn't stand her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that, they didn't they didn't um, have her stop everything and have sex with Rob Lowe. But I gotta say, why not? Uh, <laughs> in the book, they did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's Rob Lowe. Who wouldn't hit that? Do you think the actress is like, hot dang, woohoo, I've read the book. I'm going to do a same thing with Rob Lowe. And, and like, if oh, I'm not mistaken, wasn't this when his career was, when he was trying to rebuild his career because he'd had the sex scandal? Yeah, it seems like Ooh, it. Maybe. So he was on the outs, and this is one of his I'm coming back roles? And this is a very this is a very pure, I mean, he, he that Nick Andrews' character, who, who is a really good character, mm-hmm. He is a character that is just like almost like a saint, you know. I mean, he's yeah. just an innocent victim. He he tries to help the people that hurt him, and he ends up trying to sacrifice himself to save everybody else, even though he fails basically. But he tries, and yeah. then he ends up helping Tom from beyond the grave. I mean, it's hard to find a more quote unquote other than I guess Mother Mother Abigail good character than Nick Andros. You know, I thought he was really well done, and and at the mm-hmm. end, of course, he was well done. Um, <laughs> the other, the, sorry. The, uh, and then, then, then the other one. I really liked the way that they, the way that that Mother Abigail became like a prophet, and she realized that that pride was getting in her way, and so yeah. she has to go off into the wilderness. I thought that was really cool. It was again, it was more sort of biblical stuff, but I liked that that, that we even got a sort of character growth from her because she almost was more like a. A, a plot device for most of the book, but she even yeah. has some character growth there. And I liked now. Now, um, um, Flag super evil, and I dug oh, it. Yeah. They, they, they really generally in a horror book they spend uh, or a horror anything they spend a lot of time on the villain because that's what you come. Maybe you do, you come to horror for everyone else is just victims. Uh, generally, um, that's a, gro- bro- a broad generalization. But with Randall Flagg, they he's evil, oh, and yeah. he does mm-hmm. bad things. And and in the, the miniseries, uh, yeah, but he's yeah. very jovial about it. He's a very happy guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I liked. Maybe I don't know that I had seen that before. Then uh, in fiction, it's like, oh, I'm an evil guy. Brr, I've got a bad attitude. But this guy was like, yeah, he was. <laughs> I'm 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 wearing my wearing my western shirt and my have my giant hair and just chilling. Yeah. Yeah. I love it and I, I it's like it, he's just such a great little bundle of 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 evil. You know, I love his yes. denim vest with his who smells pork button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a lot of we get an awful lot of commentary about his his boot heels too. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the main thing King focuses on is his footsteps and his broken down boots with his broken down heels and all that. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that he was at these various places in the past. You find out that he was like, I love that it, it, at one point he was with a black revolutionary movement and nobody ever questioned if he was black. 
It's like yeah. he just melts right in with everybody else. And he's, it said he would never give the speeches because that would mess up the microphones, but he would write the speeches for the leaders. I, that was really interesting how he, you know, he's like the bit of yeah. agitator. He had, he had pamphlets in his pockets for every cause if it was like an insidious, you know, uh, anti-authority, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, overturning things, mm-hmm. stirring up trouble. It's like he didn't really care about the causes. It's just if it could stir up trouble and cause destruction, he was all for it. Yeah, it's the reason I, I identify him with Narlathotep. He is an agent of chaos. It doesn't yeah. matter what side something is, as long as it causes that chaos. Yes, you know, like Narlathotep is a for a messenger for the the outer gods, the Cthulhu, you know, the mm-hmm. elder gods. He's not really one of them, but he's definitely their agent. Mm-hmm. And he didn't cause the pandemic, right? Yeah, he just he, took advantage he of just, it. He just took advantage of it. That's true. That's true. It's like he said, because he is in all the different multiverses of King's multiverse, and it's like in this one, he said, ooh, here's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In other ones, he has to Which blow stuff. Which I think stuff. comes from the fact that he, this is his first appearance, and then mm-hmm. later on, he gets to expand on him. Oh, yeah. I think, I, I wonder if he was just going to do a one and done with Randall Flagg, if Stephen King was going to do just a, this is, this is he's the villain for this book, and loved him so much, mm-hmm. he just said, I'm just going to put him in everything. Because he's just generic bad guy. He's he's. Yeah. I, I I like. There was also a really telling moment about halfway, two thirds way through, where Flag says to himself, "Things are starting to get a little fuzzy around the edges. Maybe I." Sh-. He says, "Normally at this point, I would just pack up and go somewhere else and start over." But he's like, "Everything here is just so. There's so much opportunity. I can't give it up." And yeah. so. King went back and added that epilogue, right, to the new version yes. where he actually does wake up in another place and time ready to start more crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was waiting on that in the miniseries, but mm. not yeah, there. but the miniseries was before, I think, before yeah. he oh. done that. Well, okay. Yeah, we didn't, get the, we didn't get the kid and that happy crappy either, so... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. How about that happy yeah, and crappy? That's one of the thing, yeah, and that's one of the other things I think I wanted to mention briefly that we didn't talk about is the fact that I love the book, but I think I do prefer the shorter version. Okay. Just because okay. Uh, I've talked about this, uh, uh, I think, with uh, with you, Van. Mm-hmm. I love King to death, but he part of his storytelling technique and one of the things I do love about him, but also it's a down point, is he will ramble. He is like sitting in front of an old school storyteller. Yeah. Oh, and this reminds me of this tangent, and this reminds me of that tangent. Unless we're over here for a while, he needs an editor. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he, yeah. he needs someone to be able to go. No, Steve, back on track. Back on track, Steve. <laughs> I will say I, I'm I'm very. Uh, I, one of the reasons why I wanted to read The Stand, sadly for myself, is that I wanted to break my record for the longest book that I uh-huh. have read. <laughs> and the previous record holder was Battlefield Earth. Oh, God. Oh. That needed breaking. Yes. Yes. So now I've done it. So now I can retire. <laughs> That's good. Re- <laughs> well, I, I didn't. I, this was not the long. I've, I've read the Clavel book. So I read Noble House and Shogun. So those I don't think mm. I, I think they're both longer than this, even in its expanded version. But, yeah, it's up. It's in the top five for sure. But I read it so quickly. I wouldn't have. I just didn't seem as long. No, no, I, now, indeed, indeed. It did not seem like yeah. a yeah. thousand page book. Battlefield Earth seemed like four thousand. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I love his writing so much that I've bought books that were nothing but collections of interviews with Stephen King. Yeah, just yeah. to just to you know hear his voice, his literary voice talking, mm-hmm. 
is just, like I said earlier, it's like comfort food. There's something soothing about there are very few authors that when I sit down and I start to read them that I just get absorbed and I'm not really reading anymore. You know, it's yeah. like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm bathing in it. There's like him, Jim Butcher, Jonathan Mayberry. There's like I can count. It's like where I'm just like, oh, where'd the book go? I swear to God, I was just reading. <laughs> I was going to be over already. That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before I read this, I, I kind of primed myself. I read Salem's Lot. I read Revival. And uh, I read, uh, or I listened on audio to The Long Walk and The Running Man. Mm. So I hit like four big King books right before this, and I blew through all four of them too. So he is a, it's, 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 even if they're long, they're fast. I was going to say, I don't think I'm going to say anymore, I want this book to be longer. I guess I would say there's about 50 pages of this book that I would be okay if you took out. If you replaced them with like more of the judge getting to know him. And and yeah. and more more resolution at the end. Maybe yeah. we don't. Maybe we don't need about ten pages of Stu and and uh, Tom on the snowmobile. You could replace that with a little more getting to know the judge and getting to know yeah. the the lady that the lady that cuts her throat in the hotel room. Mm. Yeah. The, the the other the other spy. She was really yeah. interesting. I wanted more of her and less yeah. of a couple of the other what? characters. Yeah. She got what one chapter. Yeah. Yeah, they we made needed... such a big deal out of the ones who volunteered to go. Yeah, and then she gets one chapter and and that's yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Well, last chance to get anything in we haven't talked about, and we'll wrap up. I thought this was really good. So I'm 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 like you, Van. I it was it's very fresh in my mind. So mm-hmm. being able to download all of that mm-hmm. has been a a, a a good thing. Very yeah. very. It's it's good stuff, and unlike both of you guys, this because I'm king of the idiots. This is the only <laughs> Stephen King book I've ever finished. Oh wow! So I've got a lot of reading to do now, <laughs> and I'm gonna. You got time? I got time. I'll say I I really enjoyed Salem's Lot, but n- al- almost literally nothing happens until halfway through the book. If you can just get to the halfway point of the book, it's great. But it's just yeah. the first half is so slow. The, the, the first half of Salem's Lot is all set up. Mm-hmm. Is all set up. Now, that payoff is worth it. Yeah. Yes. Because I, I mean, think Salem's Lot may be my favorite King book. Okay. But it's basically Dracula in small town Maine. It is. <laughs> nice. But and man. one thing I love about, and again, I've not experienced it very much myself, since I haven't read, uh, um, but all of Stephen King's books, he connects them all. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's like a Stephen King multiverse that yes. you didn't that that he's been writing this whole time, and he kind of slowly reveals, "Hey, check it out! Now we're back in Salem." You know that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yep. I yeah, he was one of the first authors to do that. I mean, com- it, you know, he took it. You know, comic books have been doing that. So my. You know, as a kid, comic book nerd brain latched onto that continuity thing. Exactly. Yes. yes. That's right. Yeah, and the yeah, Dark Tower like, series, the Dark Tower series is the oh, one that yeah. kind of pulls it all together. There's even a moment in the Dark Tower series where the the characters in that story are are in Kansas during mm-hmm. Captain Trips, and they see all the abandoned cars and the dead bodies. Oh, dang. And you're like, and you're like oh, I know where they are. Go ahead and leave. <laughs> Go on yeah, to the next universe. <laughs> Yeah, get out before you get sick. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it would have been funny yeah. if uh, if uh, if Susanna or whoever had been like, <coughs> you'd be like, oh crap, oh no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
one of my prized possessions for a long, long time was I had the the first Gunslinger book on audio read by King. Oh wow! Ooh. Oh, it it, it was a, it was a joy to listen to. That's a, that is a good series, but I would I read it before I'd read a lot of his stuff. So I, I guess mm-hmm. there's probably five or six books you need to read before you read The Dark Tower, just so that it'll be more fun. You know, it's like Clavel mm-hmm. does the same thing. If you if you read all the other. Uh, Asian books that Clavel wrote, like Shogun and King Rat and all, and then you read Noble House. Noble House is where everybody from those books shows up at some point or other, and you're like, oh, it's that guy. Oh, it's the dude from that book. You know, oh, it's the descendant of those people. But if you just read Noble House, you'd be like, why is there a why is there there's this gorgeous Japanese woman talking to Ian Dunross? Okay, so what? But if you read Shogun, you're like, oh my gosh, it's Blackthorn's great 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 granddaughter. Oh my gosh, you know, it means a lot more. You know, so it's the same yeah. thing there. Uh- yeah, yeah. Now I want someone to write a book series that's like five or six long, and then the last book is called "It's That Guy," and they all cross them. <laughs> that's pretty much. There you go. I'm gonna do it. I'm doing it. <laughs> He's gonna do it right now. Uh, all right, guys. This has been awesome. I really. I, it's like I think, like Joe was saying, it, it has helped mm-hmm. to kind of uh, unload and 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 unpack our thoughts from just uh, the two of us for sure reading it. And Gary, I'm, I've really been glad to have your uh, expertise in, along too. So I appreciate you yeah. guys doing this. Yeah. And, and here's how much of an impression that book made on me. I haven't mm-hmm. read it in 10 years and yet I'm wow. still, you can see, I can, everything is like right there. <laughs> Absolutely. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have ever known that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So how maybe what we do is when the all access miniseries comes out, we reconvene. Oh, Ooh. I'm in. That like, work. Like maybe we we do a weekly that. review. <laughs> that would do, oh my goodness. Yeah, that would work. That would <laughs> Episode work. one, everyone dies. That's <laughs> what I'm expecting. Yep. Um, did, have you guys read the Marvel adaptation real quick? I have not. I have not. Okay. I got the first. It's, it's in like six. It's like five or six sets of five issues each. And mm-hmm. so I just read the opening five issues, and that's just everybody dying. So if you, oh, wow. if you had never read the book and never seen anything and you picked up those comics, you'd be like at the end of that first miniseries and thinking, well, that was a bummer. That was a downer. It's like we met these characters and everybody died. The end, you know. Well, I so, would hope you would think it's a bummer. You don't want someone reading, and 99% of the people died. Wow, that was great. I'm refreshed. <laughs> Only if you're Randall Flagg, basically. So, <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it up. And, uh, yeah, let's reconvene after the miniseries comes along and we'll talk about that. That would be great. Appreciate you guys being on board, and I guess the rocket's going to get on out of here for another episode. We'll see you all down the road. Yay! Woo-hoo! Clifton, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.